This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hi, I'm Hanif Baharuddin and this is Gigi Wellplayed, the show that talks about all things video games. This week, we're going to be talking to Wan Hazmir and Daim Ziauddin, the folks behind No Straight Roads, a rhythm-based action-adventure game that's made right here in our country and was released on multiple platforms last year. A lot of video games are usually based on uh, Western or Japanese cultures, right? And there's very little, you know, um, footprint of Malaysian culture in games and yet we have so much more to offer and it's, we're not only talking about uh, traditional cultures right like uh, you know Silat or whatever but we're also talking about modern culture like Mama like the accent itself and all that so yeah Japan and America they are very way, way ahead in terms of technology uh, you know graphics and all this but we have our own weapon which is culture and we believe that you know we have to utilize it in order to you know make people understand well our identity but before that, here's a recap of some of the biggest news in the world of gaming with Daryl Ong and Dashrin Yohan. Thank you, Hanif. Let's start with a development to a story that we reported last week. Uh, in the previous episode, we shared the news regarding a US law firm conducting surveys to determine whether the PS5 DualSense controller are suffering from controller drift. Yes, for those who are not familiar with drift, it's a situation where your analog sticks will make movements without any prompts, which is essentially drifting. I'm PC Mastery, so this is completely foreign to me. But anyway, <laughs> the firm that was conducting the survey uh, has now filed a class action lawsuit against Sony uh, alleging that the controller is defective and that Sony was aware of the problem without disclosing it. Uh, the suit also calls Sony's conduct fraudulent, deceptive, unlawful and unfair. And according to IGN, this might be the first of such lawsuit that's filed against Sony and it might not be the last. Yeah, controller drift has become a hot topic beginning a couple of years back with the problem affecting Nintendo Switch. Uh, and now it seems to be affecting the PS5 DualSense with a handful of videos online surfacing showing users with the problem. It's interesting that this has happened so early in the console's life cycle and with not many people being able to get their hands on the console. According to some teardown videos online, Sony used the same analog sticks from the PS4's DualShock. So, did that also contribute to the problem? Trouble in paradise. Regardless, we'll follow the story as it develops. Moving on, last week also saw Nintendo having their first ever direct main event since 2019. There were a lot of games and expansions announced for their flagship platform, which is the Switch. So, we're not able to cover everything. So, what we're going to do is highlight only some of the major announcements. So, the first one is Splatoon 3, which is a sequel to the highly celebrated shooter on the platform. Based on the trailer, the game will take place in a desert in the future called Spatlands, in a new city called Splatsville, and will feature new weapons and moves, scheduled to release next year. Yes, and apart from that, a Zelda game was also announced, but nope, it's not Breath of the Wilds 2 or a totally new Zelda game. Instead, it's a HD remake of Skyward Sword, originally released on the Wii.
The game, which featured motion controls back on the Wii, will be replicated on the Switch analog sticks. To be honest, Daryl, it's not something that the fans really wanted, right? They wanted a new Breath of the Wild, but this game might appeal to those who have not played the game before. They'll also be releasing a specially designed Joy-Con controller that will feature the motors from the game, the right Joy-Con featuring teams from the Master Sword, and the left Joy-Con featuring the Hylian Shield motif. And apart from those two games, there were also uh, announcements from a new Mario Golf game called Mario Golf Super Rush No More Heroes 3 update. Physical edition of Supergiant's critically acclaimed Hades, character updates via DLC for Super Smash Bros Ultimate, and many, many more. Pandemic Sensation 4 guys will also be making their way to Switch and Xbox together with Ninja Gaiden Master Collection which will be coming on the PS4, Xbox and Steam. Yes, so the general reception towards this year's Direct based on what we've read online is pretty underwhelming with many fans expressing their disappointment at the lineup that they've deemed to be poor especially without any brand new Zelda or Mario games announced. Mm. Uh, Apart from Nintendo Direct, we also had BlitzCon 2021 which happened virtually over the weekend. So to recap and discuss the announcements made at the event, Hani Barudin speaks to John Leo, content director from kakuchopore.com. Alright, John, so thank you for joining me again. Uh, So we had BlizzCon over the weekend and there are a lot of exciting things announced. Uh, Let's start with Overwatch 2, still no release date, uh, but Jeff Kaplan and the team have announced a lot of new things. Can you share some details about it? Uh, Yeah, sure. Um, Based on the presentation that happened on day one of the BlizzCon 2021, Overwatch 2 will feature a new playable character called Sovereign. However... That's just a tease because Blizzard actually did not officially announce her. They just showed gameplay footage of her in their behind-the-scenes video. So they're being rather coy about it, just typical of Jeff Kaplan, the producer. So what they actually talked about is mostly the PvP bits where they'll feature two new maps. I believe it's Rome and New York and new tweaks to the game's tank characters so that they have more offensive capabilities. One good example of the latter includes a demo of Reinhardt, who can now use Fire Strike twice per cooldown, has more maneuverability when he charges, and can cancel out said charge. So let's just say he charges people off the cliff. He can just cancel midway before he hits the cliff and then just do another action. So that's going to be very helpful for esports and Overwatch competitive players. Also, the game set roles will start coming up with extra passive abilities. They're not finalized yet, so who knows? They might do some changes. So basically, tanks, damage characters, and support characters will have passive abilities that will increase and help them out during multiplayer and even single-player mode. Like, for example, tanks will have knockback reduction, decreased ultimate charges for damage dealt to them, and um, DPS characters will have movement speed bonuses, and support characters may have automatic healing. So these things might change, but this will be a really good addition for the characters and the playstyles of Overwatch. But beyond those changes, there's not much. I mean, there's also a revamped look for Reaper, Widowmaker, and McCree, but that's mostly cosmetics. No concrete release date yet, but I think this is sufficient information for people to get onto before, like a new bunch of info that might come out like end of the year or even early next year. For Overwatch 2, we're upping the bar. It's kind of five games in one. It's a huge undertaking. The new tech and the new aesthetics for the new looks bring you closer to the characters that you love, and we're just getting started. The fidelity of the gameplay experience is much richer. We are making cinematics that push the boundary of what we can do to tell stories. 
we want this dynamic world. We want things to feel alive. Mm. Do you think fans would be happy with the announcement? Uh, they're very apathetic, if I'm being honest <laughs> right now. If I'm looking at the general chat, the general YouTube page where Overwatch being streamed and on the Blizzard main page, some love it. Some fans like it. Some of them hate it. Many are still rather about Activision Blizzard as a whole for reasons that are dating back to 2019. Yeah, and do you think that Overwatch is now stuck in this place where they're trying to balance between making it a good esports title and also a competitive game for casual gamers? It's actually up in the air right now because they've been doing these changes for the past few years, like from 2016 all the way to now. Jeff Kaplan and the team have been making a lot of updates, trying to placate the esports team and then placate and making the casual people happy. They do some changes to the league system as well as like how the party matchup, matchmaking system works too. So they've got their hands full. It's not like they haven't been listening, but they have to prioritize certain changes that's going to piss off some people, but to make certain subsets of people happy. So in a general place, I mean, I'd say this is a good thing that they're doing, but despite what people in the vocal minority are saying, I believe Overwatch is in a pretty decent place. I mean, it's not like the zeitgeist that it was back in 2016 and 17, but it's still good considering that the game has been around for a very long time. And with the sequel coming out, I think they have to build up momentum for that so that people can start caring. I'm actually happy with Overwatch 2 in a sense because they're not actually changing much. I mean, they're just offering a single player and then doing a lot of tweaks to make multiplayer and esports competitive gaming very significant in terms of like updates. But overall, I think this is like a good change as long as they don't charge Overwatch 2 like with a very high price tag, like, you know, with AAA game production and stuff. Yeah. Uh, do you think that they'll release it next year or are they going to take their time? With they it? will release an announce. They will announce a release date next year. That's for sure. As for the actual date, this is Blizzard. So, I mean, I know a lot of people say that old Blizzard is better than new Blizzard in a way it is. But one thing they should not compromise is basically taking their time making the game. If they say that Overwatch 2 is coming out maybe in 2023 or later, I'm okay with that. Because I think these kind of games really need all the time in the world to get polished, to be at a really good place to come out and then be more than perfect or like closer to perfection. You stole from those more fortunate. I strayed from your light and found my trade in the shadows. They call it murder. I say, job well done. Yeah, apart from Overwatch 2, there's also Diablo. We cannot not talk about Diablo. Uh, a new character class for Diablo 4 was announced and also there's a confirmation of news that we've heard leaked a couple of months ago, the remaster of Diablo 2 called Diablo 2 Resurrected. Uh, what do you think of the announcements for both? Oh, um, even though the leak happened, I'm actually still happy that this news was announced. For Diablo 4, I actually am interested in the new class. Well, re- technically the old class, the rogue, because she appeared in the first game. She's actually the sister of the sightless eye. I think these are like remnants of that because that faction was destroyed in part two so part four is nice to see like a comeback to that character class you can actually choose the old version in terms of cosmetics for the rogue but you can actually choose another version her skills are basically she is actually the 
speed-oriented class of among the groups. So everything that has to do with her actions and whatnot are all dexterity-based. She can specialize her skills to either be combo-based, give her a shadow world ability, as well as uh, make her do an exploit weaknesses attack where if enemies have like an icon popping up, she can do an attack to time it to that icon to actually deal massive damage or do debuffs. Her shadow world ability makes her target a group of enemies and shroud them in like a shadow world and she gets like huge buffs and huge buffs to her criticals and I guess technically she's invincible within the these five seconds in the shadow world. And she can also do like a combo base uh combo base kind of skill where she gets combo points for every consecutive attack she does, and then she spends these combo points to activate skill enders or finisher moves to deal, you know, more damage or get bigger buffs or contribute you know, support abilities to the team. So it's pretty cool that they actually showcase her. I think my favorite move is the one where she jumps off the horse and she does like a bunch of multiple arrow attacks on the ground. You know, it's like a good starter move, you know, makes it look, you know, really cool. But at the same time, it's very practical because it's a really nice AOE attack. Also, there's also updates on the PvP mode where if you wander around the open world, you get to enter this field, this area affected by hatred called the Fields of Hatred. So how it works is you go to an area influenced by hatred, do activities there to get hatred shards, like from killing players to killing monsters to opening chests, and then take all these shards and then get out of the field to purify them, to keep them for yourselves. Now, here's the kicker. If you have these shards unpurified if a player kills you they can take the shards for themselves so that's a competitive element in this fields of hatred minigame now you know what i seek Morris. are these the demons from don't do it it's easy i'm not What about Diablo 2? Uh, do you think that they're cashing in on nostalgia for oh, this one? definitely they are. I mean, because Diablo 2 is a very significant action RPG that influenced a lot of other games to come. I mean, games like Titan Quest wouldn't come out because of Diablo 2, right? If Diablo 2 didn't exist. So it's actually kind of fitting for Activision Blizzard. After they're done with StarCraft, the remastering, they decide to go back to Diablo 2, which is arguably the best action RPG that's created. So the D2 Resurrected remaster will bring in a fresh 3D coat of paint that looks promising so far. Like, the team, here's a, here's a really cool part. The team itself, Vicarious Visions and bits of Blizzard, they had to actually recreate a lot of the assets in 3D because the master copy was corrupted way back in 2000 plus or so. It's a heck of an undertaking, but hopefully it pays off really well. And if you don't like how the 3D art style looks, because if you're a nostalgia glasses wearing kind of guy, you can switch it on the fly into the 2D version. Other features include a remastered audio and cinematics, a stash, stash so your entire classes that you, the classes that you created, the characters you created, can farm items and you can share it with other selectable classes. Uh, toggleable auto gold pickup, which is very useful because it's like a feature that's been around for the past few years in action RPG history. Also controller support, 4K support and high refresh rates like... Uh, 144 hertz and it's also going to be out for consoles like including nintendo switch so a new generation of players get to you know check out this really classic game in a whole new light or an old 2d pixel art light if you prefer that kind of look 
But some fans have expressed caution uh, with the game and comparing it to what happened last year with Warcraft 3 Reforged. Uh, do you think that there's a potential for that to happen with this one? Oh, there is a lot. I mean, who knows? Between now until the end of 2021, these 10 months are going to be very crucial for Vicarious Visions and Blizzard because they cannot afford to make another mistake like Warcraft 3 Reforged. Because, you know, like Blizzard has this seal of approval quality where they don't release a game until it's out and complete and perfect and perfect to their way and look. I believe this Warcraft 3 Reforged situation kind of put... Uh, I think they just made, hopefully they make the team, you know, think and be, think of, you know, how they deal with things from now on. So they can't afford to mess this up. I do hope that the D2 remaster gets released as it's intended to be. If the remaster needs to be delayed and needs more time in the oven, I would suggest the company just do that. I mean, if they have to push it to 2022, go ahead, do that. Because a game that look that's imperfect and not going to be improved and gets a lot of backlash, it's going to be pretty bad. I mean, Blizzard's reputation is already kind of like mixed since 2019 onwards. So I don't think they can afford another PR blow right now. Between the two, I think based on what I've read, uh, people seem to be more excited with Diablo 2 compared to Diablo 4. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's a <laughs> lot of talk about Diablo 2 because a lot of people grew up with that game. A lot of new people are interested in how this classic action RPG holds up. And in a sense, I mean, there's still that apathy going on with Blizzard. But still, if one thing is for sure, Diablo 2 is probably the game that Blizzard hasn't cocked up yet so who knows who knows what's going to happen in the next 10 months i really do hope that they get their act together releases the way they wanted it to be and get it gets the update it deserves to post launch and goes on from there so let's let's keep our fingers crossed if not well at least we have another new story to cover in december (laughs) onward right yeah and it and it was just a passing mention for Diablo Immortal this time around huh? <laughs> yes yes a very passing mention I mean the technical alpha's out and Blizzard probably will need another game that's on the mobile market to you know because this day and age a lot of big companies are relying on their mobile games to actually get the money needed to fund all their other passion projects so this is more like a business thing I mean this is like eventual I mean Hearthstone was a mobile game to begin with right so mm. Yeah, and apart from, I guess, these two big IPs, uh, there were also other games um, announced, I guess, expansions for World of Warcraft, Hearthstone, and also an interesting announcement of Blizzard Arcade Collection, which is now available if you want to purchase it, right? Uh, yeah, that's correct, that's correct. I've only paid a little bit of attention to the other Blizzard news because I'm not a big MMORPG guy, but I can do like a Cliff Notes. Lah. So World of Warcraft Shadowlands is the next big update. It's called Chains of Domination, and it's going to just add like a bunch of new raids, a bunch of new features and whatnot that's you know for MMO online players the Burning Crusade classic servers are coming to WoW Classic so if you want to experience the second major World of Warcraft expansion back in the day like it was you can do that or you can experience it with like some new updates and whatnot even I think they're going to bump up the raid bosses for that particular expansion for this release so if you like it if you want it tougher you can do that too Hearthstone also got a new expansion and they're going to have a new mode called Mercenaries so it's like a roguelike mode of simultaneous combat the stage is set the green flag drops let the carnage begin 
Now, yeah, the Blizzard Arcade Collection, it features rock and roll racing. It's going to feature Blackthorn and the Lost Vikings, all in their old-school emulated glory. Mm. Overall, what do you think of uh, this year's BlizzCon? Was it a good BlizzCon for Blizzard? Well, it isn't, but it's expected given the current worldwide situation. Honestly, I feel that this could have been like a simple trailer drop, like just on one day, and then we just rifle through the news and then we talk about it instead of having like massive presentations. But I think that's just something that Blizzard just wanted to do lah, to get out of the system. It's a good experiment, but I won't say it's a successful it's a successful experiment. Um, based on the chats that's been going around, you know, like on the YouTube chat, as well as on the Twitch chat, as well as on like on Reddit and whatnot. So, I mean, that's how the vocal minority are framing it. I mean, I, to be honest, personally, I appreciate the updates for the Diablo franchise and also the Overwatch 2 bits so that at least I know that the game is still in progress. So hopefully it's going to a good place. Now, here's an interesting tidbit. During the Blizzard Arcade collection, you know, like the behind the scenes bit, the big 30 minute video, they seem to not feature any photos or footage of the co-founder, one of the co-founders, Michael Morheim. He's a pretty big guy in the Blizzard, you know, pantheon. I might have missed it. Maybe I missed a clip or two, but there's a lot of talk about him being excluded from the promo material of the collection. So that's a bit of like, maybe you can bring up your conspiracy and your thoughts there. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Leo, content director from Kakuchupuri with his summary of BlitzCon 2021. Daryl and Dashrin on the news. This is all we have for this week. Hanif, back to you. Thank you very much, Daryl and Dashrin. Let's go for a short break. Coming up next, our chat with the folks behind No Street Roads, Wan Hazmir and Daim Ziauddin. Stay tuned. This is Gigi Well Played on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you're listening to GG Well Played. I'm your host, Hanif Baharudin. No Street Roads is the first game by Metronomic, a studio that's based here in Malaysia and co-founded by Wan Hazmir and Daim Ziauddin. Both Wan Hazmir and Daim Ziauddin are highly experienced developers that have had experience working with some of the biggest and iconic franchises in the world of gaming. I'm going to let them tell you what they are in a bit, but after their stint abroad, they came back and developed No Straight Roads, a rhythm-based action-adventure game that was released last year for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Nintendo Switch, and PC. The game features two playable characters, Zook and Mayday, aspiring rock musicians that are trying to free the city they live in, Vinyl City from the clutches of the evil EDM empire that governs it, and SR. Without further ado, here are Wan Hazmir and Daim Ziauddin to share their experiences working on the game. Okay, uh, I'm Wan Hazmir and I am the uh, co-founder, CEO and game director at Metronomic. Um, before I opened Metronomic, uh, we opened Metronomic in December 2017. I was working in Square Enix, was lead game designer for Final Fantasy 15 uh, and also a game designer for Final Fantasy Type-0. And yeah, I was in Tokyo for about 10 years together with Daim. Yep. Hello, uh, my name is Daim Ziauddin. I am the co-founder chief creative officer and also the creative director of Metronomic. Last time I worked on several Capcom games, I was the illustrator for Marvel vs. Capcom 3, Ultra Street Fighter 4, and I was also the concept artist for Street Fighter 5. And at one time I was working for Final Fantasy XIV, punya cutscene. So that was a Square Enix product. So I actually got to work in the same building as Hazmila at that time. Yeah, one floor uh, below. One floor below. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. And I understand that you guys are related, right? 
Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah, we're cousins. <laughs> yeah, just remember. Yeah, we, yeah, we sometimes snooper to say that. Too <laughs> lah. <laughs> okay, so I hope it's not too late to congratulate you guys on the launch of No Straight Roads. Uh, not to sound overly patriotic, but as I booted the game last year on my PS4, uh, I can't help but feel proud that I'm playing a game that's made right here in the country. So, how did you guys feel about the game and the success that it's enjoying so far? Well, yeah. To be honest, we are very overwhelmed mm. by the response. It's really crazy. Um, you know, when we released the game in August 25th, obviously we had a, you know, some worry. Uh, but at the same time, also we were supported by some fans who have already started drawing fan art even before the game was released. <laughs> that yeah. was really crazy. But after that, my goodness me, um, I mean, you, you can you can see so many fan art, right, Daim, in, on yeah. Twitter. It's like And there was one time that it went over a hundred per day. Yeah. Now it's a uh, February. That's like almost half a month, a eh, half a year past gone. Yep. And yeah, even until now, you know, if you just check on Twitter, you know, NSR, No Straight Roads, people are still constantly drawing new stuff. You know, and not just drawing lah. You know, they're talking about it, and some of the crazy artists are doing like cosplay ke, or they're doing like some weird art stuff like cakes or something. You know, so yeah. wow, we are so so. So much love was put into supporting the game, and we we feel very overwhelmed by by the support. On top of that, as well, there's a lot of fan fiction. Yes, and there's also a fan game based on one of the bosses of the game. Yeah, yeah, that's really crazy. Um, and I mean, it's like uh, you know, there's one time because I I maybe you know Hanif that it has Malaysian accent, right? Yeah, so we actually have a lot of talented. Uh, Malaysian voice actors for this game, and because the game was shipped internationally, we are very proud about the accent, of course. But of course, we are slightly worried about the reception. But it was really, really great um, to the point that there's one character named DK West. Um, he does DK Barat, so you get the joke there. Um, <laughs> and some of them were very, very intrigued by the language. Some of them thought that was a fantastic. It was a fictional language. <laughs> And we actually have on Twitter an American trying to fan voice the character in the Malaysian accent. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Suling lah, Suling uh, is the voice of Mayday, the heroine of the game. And then yeah, the 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 American was trying to voice like Suling. So it's it's wow, that's exactly what we wanted to do with the game. So yeah, most of the voice actors are locals, right? Yes. Yes. Right. Mm. Mm-hmm. I, I remember hearing the first time I heard Tatiana like it dawned on me that this that, that, that sounds like Priscilla Patrick. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and and like oh true enough it is Priscilla Patrick. So of course Priscilla Patrick is an iconic voice here in Malaysia as well. So so it was hey, like oh, it, so it was quite hard you know to get I mean it's like because we had an open audition right. Oh, so okay. we had an open audition because Malaysia has a very weird system that where you have to engage a voice recording studio. And then you give them like a profile of characters, and then they will suggest to us what voice actors are the best. You know, and I thought that that was bad because you know it doesn't open up the opportunity to a lot of people. So we started to have our own open audition. Uh, Daim was the one who was judging the characters and all that. And even after the open audition, we still couldn't get uh, mm. Tatiana's voice, right, Daim? She was the last one of the last characters. Young, um, unfortunately, uh, none of the applicants uh, nailed her tone, lah. You know. But it was thanks to the two main voice actors. I think Suling and Bones, kan, Azmi. They were the one who recommended us Priscilla Patrick. Oh uh, yeah, correct. 
and also uh, Joanna Bessie as well, right? We, we also got her last as well. Yeah. Uh, for yeah. Eve. Yeah. Mm. Joanna is also another iconic, one, hey. of, one of the more iconic names here. In the <laughs> yeah, area. man. But, I, but, I still the, don't know how we got her. And this is Patrick as well. It's crazy. <laughs> but that's interesting because I think there was the decision to, to uh, at least uh, get the voice actors to be from Malaysia uh, a conscious one considering that the game is going to be shipped internationally and like you said uh, earlier has made there was that concern that you know how it's going to be accepted by the international community right yeah so but but memang you guys from early on have decided that okay let's let's just cast our talent uh, locally lah right mm, i think Daim and i we feel that we have so much more to offer in terms of culture right and a lot of video games are usually based on uh, western or japanese cultures right And there's very little, you know, um, footprint of Malaysian culture in games. And yet we have so much more to offer. And it's, we're not only talking about uh, traditional cultures, right? Like, uh, you know, Silat or whatever. But we're also talking about modern culture, like Mama, like the accent itself and all that. So, yeah, Japan and America, they are very way, way ahead in terms of technology, uh, you know, graphics and all this. But we have our own weapon, which is culture. And we believe that, You know, we have to utilize it in order to, you know, make people understand well our identity. Yeah, there is a space, lah. You know, I think uh, there's a space there to be filled, and there's enough room for everybody else to show their culture, lah. You know, and we we are already in 2021, and it's good to see other games, pun, lah. You know, embracing cultures that you rarely seen in games. You know, like we can see more Indian stuff. You know, so. That's really cool lah, that people are becoming more and more exposed to uh, different cultures around the world. I would like to talk about Vinyl City because as much as, I mean, knowing that it's a Malaysian-made game, I look at Vinyl City and it doesn't necessarily look like KL, but you can tell that there are a lot of influences from from Malaysia making it into the game, right? So so there is this slightly different vibe, like it's, uh, Vinyl City is not technically inspired by KL, but you can kind of see that it has that Malaysian, you know, Malaysian taste to it, right? Hmm. For me, I think what's important when we showcase our culture is relevance, like you know, uh, like for example, if you just want to make an iPhone game featuring Chongka, I don't know how many people will play the game, right? <laughs> so, I feel that um, the Japanese are really good at this. They put in, you know, some of their uh, identity into, like, say, Naruto uh, and all their anime, right? Uh, some of these Japanese cultures, and yet it's so entertaining. It's so it feels so relevant to a lot of people. And I always get this question from you know students or some game developers. Why not you create uh, Uncharted but like Hang Tuah? You know, and that for me that doesn't really sell our culture because at the end of the day the game is going to be beside Uncharted, it's going to be beside Spider Man and all this, right? So what will make people buy the game is also very important. So culture for me it needs to have its place. Um, when I placed the Roti Canai and the Uh, Tetari in Final Fantasy 15 is not because I just want to put my Malaysian culture in there. Obviously, part of it, yes, but also because the the world needed a city that is dry, and we look at all the dry uh, real life. I mean, dry countries, and we look at the real life cultures in those countries. So we got Cuban architecture for this city called Lestalem, and then we got uh, Middle Eastern markets. Uh, for you know the markets in the city, and then we had food culture, and I thought you know Malaysian food culture, Southeast Asian food culture would be best. So yeah, imagine if I were to force roti canai and teh tarik in another city that's completely irrelevant to this, then people would find it jarring, right, and find it misplaced. Mm. 
but Daim, yeah, Daim, uh, I mean, you know, in terms of the environment, the art and all that, we try our best uh, to put in as much uh, culture as we can in a very relevant format lah. Mm. I think for for No Straight Roads, what I, what I find quite interesting is that you are beginning to see this kind of game uh, being present a lot more within the industry, right? I think that apart from NSR, there's also a game that was released last year called I think BPM Bullets Per Minute, and that seems to be employing a slightly similar concept, right? Uh, so do you think that uh, games with this concept are beginning to be a bit more present within the industry? Um, I feel yes. Uh, I think. Music is, or yeah, even rhythm sound is a universal language. You know, there's rarely people who hate music in this world. So if you infuse music nicely with game design, but not forcing the user to follow a certain beat. So like for example, bullets per minute. What is nice about it is that you know uh, you can shoot anytime you want as long as it's on the beat, right? Uh, but you know you you don't have to shoot every beat. For example. And then you can choose. So it's more about strategic thinking or when to reload, when to shoot, when to avoid, and all this stuff. So yeah. So everyone who has not been living in a cave should at least be able to tap their feet to the rhythm. Uh, but when you tie the rules of the game to the rhythm too strictly, then people are unable to tap their feet because now they have to tap the feet based on the bar that's falling down on the screen. <laughs> And we are trying to actually loosen that up, and I think that you can see a trend of games that are trying to loosen this relationship as well. But at the same time, having music important for game design, not just a background music. Yeah. Uh, but coming back to the point uh, that you made just now, has me about uh, wanting to, I guess, loosen the preconception that people have towards rhythm game, right? I assume that you're referring to games like Guitar Hero and and Rock Band to a certain extent, where I guess the the understanding of rhythm game is 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 very structured in that sense, right? Whenever you talk about rhythm game, people tend to gravitate towards games like this. Whereas uh, I guess with No Straight Roads, Bullets Per Minute, uh, these these are the games that are trying to introduce a different kind of idea to what you usually perceive or think of when it comes to rhythm games right yeah um you know i think one of a, one of a very a good early example of trying to loosen the relationship between the, the spatial relationship uh, sorry the relationship between the space of the screen and the rhythm uh, but it's still a rhythm game is uh, rhythm heaven i think mm. uh, yeah, and i we really love the game and yeah there, you don't see any bars you just see you know a person clapping or tapping their feet and then you just have to tap according to that and Um, yeah, it's, it's very effective in coming up with a rhythm game that's fun for everyone to play. So yeah, that's actually what I meant by loosening the relationship of space and music. Stay tuned, we'll be right back after this with more from Wan Hazmir and Daim Ziauddin, developers for No Straight Roads, Metronomic's debut effort that was made here in Malaysia. You're listening to Gigi Wellplayed on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, I'm Hanif Baharudin and you're listening to GG Well Paid. We've been speaking to the guys behind No Straight Roads, a rhythm-based action-adventure game that pits rock music against EDM. Joining me for the chat are Wan Hazmir, the game director, and Daim Ziauddin, the creative director. They're both from Metronomic, a studio that's based here in Malaysia. Let's continue our chat by looking at the dynamics between the characters in the game. Another interesting aspect that I enjoy with the game is uh, the characters and how passionate they are. Uh, I especially enjoy the dynamic between Mede and Zyuk and how they are markedly, while they are working towards the same goal, they are both personality-wise quite different, right? Hey, uh, the name's Mede. 
I wield a guitar, and he is... Zook. And he plays the... Drums. And together, we're Bunk Bed Junction! Woo! Hey, Zook! There sure has been quite a lot of electronic music in this city lately. That's true, May. But you know, this city still lacks a certain something, don't you think? Absolutely, May. Luckily for you guys, how important are the character dynamics, uh, especially in telling a story like uh, NSR? Uh, maybe Daim, you can perhaps you know tell us more about this. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I guess when we want to tell a story, you know, it's important that the story is a representation of what you believe in, you know. I think when you look at art in general, you know, you look at a piece of music or you look at a piece of uh, illustration or something, you know. I might be biased because I'm very into story writing, you know, but usually when you look at the story, you open yourself to everybody, you know, and when you read a story, you really understand how that person thinks or what that person believes in, like, you know, his or her philosophy in life, what they feel strongly about, you know. So that's why with NSR Pon, you know, when you want to create a story, you know, we want to be very respectful to the source material, like, you know. And in this case, it is music, but it's to make it more on a broader space. It is about artists and expressing yourself as an artist, like, you know. So definitely, if you play the game, I think the fun thing is that... At first glance, people will think this game is very black and white. Like you know, it's like, like rock, good, yeah, EDM, bad. Let's fight. You know, it's, it's kind of people would think or assume it's a very shallow subject or something. You know, but as they play more, they will see that all the characters in the game are not as good or not as bad as you would first assume. Like you know, and that's very important to us. You know, because we want the characters to feel human. Like you know, every single artist. They, um, he or she has his or her own reason to play music, you know. So we want to make each character feel like human. Like that's very important to us, you know. And it's also about relationships, right? Yes. Like I didn't see the whole. Uh, I don't know whether this is a spoiler. Uh, so listeners out there, beware. I didn't see the whole. Um, I guess Zuke and DK West uh, being related. So ah. I was like pleasantly surprised by that <laughs> as well. Yeah, that that's another like cool aspect of, of the story. Like I, I think, yeah, I enjoy the progression of the plot and also the relationships between the characters. I, I feel like that, that's one of the uh, strongest points of, of the game. Um, of course, uh, we cannot talk about NSR and not talk about the music, right? And the various composers that you collaborate with. Uh, we have names like Andy Turnstall, uh, Falk Ao Young, which is, I think, is quite prominent here. Masahiro Aoki, uh, Fang Fiction, James Dandino, and even Asamat, right? So it's crucial to build a solid foundation with your composers. But what's that relationship like? Was there a lot of push and pull between the gaming side of the, I guess, development and also the music Musical side of the development. Well, I, I leave Daim to talk about the creative process of it. But in terms of the relationship with the composers, yeah, Falk and I, we met each other at PAX East in Boston, if I'm not mistaken. Um, at the time, I was presenting Final Fantasy 15, and apparently, he also worked on Final Fantasy 15 as a mixing engineer. He's Malaysian, by the way. And yeah, it was really shocking. So how does, how does that work? What did he just come to you and say, "Hey, by the way, I'm." Found. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he just came to me. He's like, <laughs> "We, uh, I was, and in fact, it was not even at the hall. Uh -uh. I was walking in the exhibition, you know, uh -uh. exhibition hall. And suddenly, this guy came to me. He's like, "Hey, Hazme, uh, I'm Malaysian too, and uh -huh. I worked on it at 15 as well." I'm like, "What? <laughs> how does he know? I guess he knows you from the fundamental <laughs> news, like, is it?" 
I guess because uh, because he's a Final Fantasy 15. I mean, he's Final Fantasy fan as well. And on top of oh, that, he's yeah. working on Final Fantasy 15. So I think he saw the itinerary, mm-hmm. and then he saw oh Malaysian. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a very Malaysian name. This one has me. <laughs> um, so yeah, it started from there. Fault was very very helpful when it comes to because I was a lead game designer for the town of Final Fantasy 15, and Falk. Uh, and his team did a really wonderful job in making sure that the music is dynamic in the town. So, like, for example, when you enter the hotel, then the music tones down a bit. When you get out, then it becomes more lively, stuff like that. And I thought, you know, he will be, because he understands dynamic music very well. And on top of that, he's also like a programmer. He's very technical as well. So he knows the in and outs of how to, you know, program the music in such a way so that, so that the music is fit for the game. So I thought of partnering with him from the start of when we created Metronomy in the first place. So he he was actually in our orientation session <laughs> as well, the, the, the first meeting of Metronomic ever. Um, and then he has a group called Click Track, which has uh, James Landino, uh, Andy Tunstall, and also Fun Fiction. And they all worked on some games like Sonic, uh, for example, Spark the Electric Jester as well. Yeah, and I think James Lennon also worked on Cytus, a very popular rhythm game. And because they have a lot of, they have a very nice mix of EDM and also rock. <laughs> so it's really like a perfect group. And then from there, um, we wanted some guest artists because, you know, there's no Malaysian DK Barat, well, specialist per se. Uh, and then we thought of getting, uh, so we suggest, uh, I, I forgot who suggested it already, but I think it was Falk who suggested Falk Asama. Suggested Asama, yeah. Uh, Asama, yeah. And then as for, Aoki Masahiro, that was a surprise because I used to play his... Uh, I mean, I think he, he composed for uh, Astral Chain, but also for Street Fighter, right? right? Was it? Yes, Street Fighter Five. Yeah, Street Fighter V, yeah. And I was surprised because I also play his songs a lot in rhythm games. So his songs in rhythm games are one of the hardest songs, as you can hear from Tatiana's uh, theme song. Uh, and then we got him uh, on board as well, uh, thanks to Fox. So yeah, that is the relationship. But as, of, as for the creative process, I think I will let time talk. Yeah. Well, of course, Hazme was also very heavily involved in the creative process, lah. You know, but how it works is that in the beginning, it's usually Hazme and I, lah. You know, uh, we thought about. So we didn't think about what kind of music to put in the game. You know, we thought about interesting themes to play with characters in the game, lah. You know, so very early, this is like before we started Metronomy, lah. You know, we we agreed that we want a child prodigy. You know, so that's Yinu. So that was, I think Yinu was, she was created way early, like months before Metronomy started. Yeah. Bow, boring. Mayday and Zook, I know it. You guys talk big about music, but the only thing talk big about what? Uh, yeah, you need to speak up. The acoustics here isn't designed for speech clarity. So we wanted that, and of course, we wanted a boy band, because of course, like music, it has to have a boy band, you know? <laughs> uh, I think Hasni was the one who suggested Virtual Idol, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, yeah, you because know? of Hasni Miku. Yeah, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And I think along the way, I think Hasni also wanted a DJ as well, you know? Mm-hmm. So these were characters that we felt, 
is worth exploring into the background of that story, like, You know, I think especially for me, you uh, know, story how a relationship between a, a child artist with her parents, you know, that that sounds very interesting to tackle, like, You know, that kind of story. And once we have the characters, then we pass it to the to Falk and his team, you know, and they will. We had a like a discussion on what kind of music. Of course, the most important thing as well, you know, they need to sound very different from each other, lah, you know. So, for example, I think there was a early in the production there was a bit of a problem between Sayu and Ten Ten. Sayu is the digital idol, and Ten Ten is the boy band, you know, because I think both their music sounded a little bit similar. They sounded very electronical, lah, you know. So. We, I think, those one of one of those things early in development that we identify the problem and we need to kind of like spread all the music genres apart, lah, you know, so that every single boss track sound very unique from each other, lah, you know. After that, it's it's a definitely it's quite a back and forth process, kind of me. It's like they created the musician will create a very simple demo and pass to us, you know. And sometimes we'll say, mm, this doesn't hit the mood of the... But that one, that one is rarely, like, you know, but most of the time, it's like, okay, this is, sounds great, let's go with this. So it's kind of like, pass to us. And then sometimes even Hazmi and his game designers will discuss on what kind of moves, right? Yep. What kind of yep. boss moves they can do. And then they will relay the message to Falk and team. Like they will say something like, oh, we do want this move where... I think one of the obvious ones is the 10 10 punya final phase, too, where you have this cycle of music that it, it it plays over and over again every every four bars i think you know so it was important to relay the message that one bar eh, not one i forgot what is it one bar or something but it's like uh one cycle is like one weapon that the boss will use lah you know so if you play that phase you know it's always like the the, the music uh, a specific music will be played for specific weapons you know so that's one of the met- that's one of the many matters that we tackle the music, how we integrate the music into the boss fight. And let's not forget uh, to mention Imba Interactive as well from Singapore. So um, although the composers created the music and although Falk understands the programming and all that, but it was Imba Interactive from Singapore uh, sound engineers that really helped to put the music in place and also create a lot of sound effects for the game as well. So really props to them. They, yeah, they yeah, they, a... they did a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's really thanks to them, you know, Imba Interactive and Falk's team that, you know, they, uh, our game is well received because of the, you know, one of the main reasons, of course, undeniably, is the sound and music, you know. Mm, yeah, earlier in the interview, you, I guess, shared about the reception that DK West uh, received, uh, especially from the uh, Western audience. Maybe you can help explain uh, or share a bit more uh, the process of, of working out the musical side of things with, with that. Because I think, for me personally, that was also uh, one of the more memorable moments of playing No Straight Roads. I'm the trailblazing guy. Zoop knows nothing like a baby. Everywhere he looks, he thinks maybe I have to show him the ropes. But all he does is move. It's very challenging. I think um, story-wise, it's very fun to do DK West because you can't do this in... Um, you can you can kind of do, like, you know, but it's, it's rarely done much in media, like, you know, where you tell the story through their singing. Like, you know. So that was really fun for me and ID. Uh, so how it happens is that we have a base story that we need to tell for each fight. Like, you know. So it's as simple as saying that in this verse, Zook will talk about 
how VK Weiss was not a good person in high school kind of thing like you know so it was a very basic notes on what they are supposed to talk about you know and then we passed that note to Asamat you know and you know and it's really thanks to Asamat like he was the one who the lyrics which I think is really great you know there's a lot of really cool I like a lot of how the the lyrics were flowing it was really nice so it was thanks to him like how he 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 sprinkled a lot of nice language in in the flow of the rap. Yep. And then once Asamat uh, has created the lyrics, then uh, once we are okay with it, so us actually uh, helped us to create the bass rhythm, the bass mm. sorry the bass tune rather the bass yes. tune of the music and also the lyrics, mm. and then after that uh, the music is passed to Clyde, mm. uh, who is uh, apparently a um, vocalist in and also a composer in France, <laughs> so because uh, France is very well known for rap. Mm-hmm. Right, the rap is very very popular in France, and we thought you know because we didn't want to just show Dikebara as Dikebara as is. Mm-hmm. We wanted to make it sound also like you know Dikebara is basically a rap battle, <laughs> right? Um, so mm-hmm. we wanted to have a bit of a modern touch to the Dikebara, so that's where the rap battle comes in, and we had a uh, Clyde Rabatel, was it? I forgot the surname. Rabatel, uh, Rabatel, yeah, Clyde, Clyde Rabatel to uh, help out with the actual composition of the music. Hmm. Yep. And interestingly enough, this is not about the music rather, but it's also about the visuals. Um, the Wayang Kulit that hmm. we did for the game. Initially, we created Wayang Kulit based on, you know, just uh, references online and all that, right? Yeah, and, yep, then, yep. and then suddenly, uh, what's it? Uh, Tintoy? Hmm. Tintoy Cho, I don't know. Oh, you work with Tintoy? Wow, yeah, 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 he was involved. Yeah. He was really- yeah, he brought some. Uh, he actually did help us to create a Wayang Kulit show back in Level Up KL mm. in 2019, I think. Yeah. Yes. As well. Yep, yep, yep. So, but 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 then he you know advises on what should a Malaysian Wayang Kulit look like yes. because at the time I think it looked more Indonesian. Yeah. Was it right? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Mm. And so, also the structure of the Wayang Kulit itself, like the the base. Yeah. The platform and all that lah. Yeah. We learned quite a lot of things from him, like you know, in how to design wine collet. I think one of the things that always stuck to me is that usually the most most of the time the heroes they will always hold a tool on their one of their arms, you know. So you can so um, um fortunately for us, Mede and Zou has the instruments, you know. So when you see the wine collet battle, you can see Mede holding a small guitar there and Zou holding a small pair of drumsticks there. Like. So it, it really fits with the Malaysian wine collet team having that tools holding by the side. Okay, alright. So what's next for Metronomic? Uh, can we expect a sequel to No Straight Roads or a brand new game from the company? <laughs> well, um, please uh, follow our social channels. <laughs> Twitter and Facebook to know more information. Uh, but as of now, I can't say anything yet. You've been tuning in to GG Well Played and I've been speaking to the developers behind No Straight Roads, Wan Hazmir, the game director, and Daim Ziaudin, the creative director. They also co-founded Metronomic, a local game development studio. If you'd like to listen to this episode again, you can find the podcast on bfm.my, our app available on the Apple App Store or Google Play and also Spotify. Do share your thoughts about the show or the games that you play via our email ggwp at bfm.my. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at bfmradio. My name is Hanif Baharudin. Thanks for joining us. Game on. Till next time. GG Well Played. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9.
the business station.